a common Bible word, uh, one that most people who grow up in church know, and that is the Passover. But I want to make it very clear to you today, if you don't understand rightly what's taking place in the Passover, you won't understand the rest of the Bible very clearly. You won't understand salvation as clearly as you ought to. You won't understand God, who he is, how he acts as clearly as you ought. And you won't understand yourself as clearly as you ought. So the Passover, I believe, I mean, it is just one of those bullet points in the Old Testament that says, judge everything else by this, understand everything else by this. And so if you can understand the Passover rightly, it will be incredibly helpful for understanding just about everything else in the Bible. (laughs) I mean, that may be an overstatement, but I mean, I, I couldn't, I tried to think of it. Is there much that understanding the Passover rightly wouldn't influence my thinking on it? And I really couldn't think of much in the Bible that would not be influenced by my understanding of that Passover here in chapters 11 and 12, and then even continuing some on into chapter 13. Because I see the Passover as so important for you and for me, I want to spend at least two weeks on it. So, uh, well, this week and at least next week, we'll cover it. And this week, what I want to do is look at the historical event of the Passover, an event that took place at a particular time in Egypt with a particular people I want us to think about the historical event next week, and maybe if we have to extend it for two weeks, but next week at least we will look at the feast of Passover, the the continuing feast that God instituted. But even the feast we won't rightly understand unless we understand the event that is being commemorated by the feast. So what that means is as we read along, I'm going to read all of chapter 11 But then I'm going to kind of skip around in chapter 12, covering the event. Um, And that's just because we're we're not going to study the institution this week of of the Passover feast. So if you would follow along with me beginning in chapter 11, I don't have the slides for it. So I'd I'd like you to to follow in your Bible. And I'll try to tell you when we're skipping uh, verses once we get to chapter 12. So beginning in chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses... Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said to to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle." There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, 
that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between is Egypt and Israel. I'll mention that's, that's the end of Moses speaking uh, for God to Pharaoh, quoting God. Verse 8, Moses now speaks for himself. And he says, uh, And all these your servants shall come down to me, Moses, and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first, the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. And anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord." The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Skip now to verse 21. Verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his houses until the morning, of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Jump now to verse 28. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. 
And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough that they had brought out of Egypt. For it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt <clears throat> was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by the people of Israel throughout their generations. Jump to verse 50. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. That is God's word. That is the event, the historical event of the first Passover. We really need to understand what's going on here. We, we really need to understand this. And I just want to say, while you can understand salvation without understanding this first Passover, understanding the Passover will greatly enhance your understanding of salvation. Does that make sense? I'm not saying a child can't come to, to become a Christian, trust in Jesus without understanding this first Passover. But I'm saying that child, as they grow and mature, when they learn the Passover, when they learn what was really going on here, it will make their understanding of salvation just explode in their minds. It will become more beautiful, more precious, more meaningful to them. And so it is to us. And for so much of scripture, the Passover is key. It is a paradigm for understanding so much. So we need to understand what was really going on in this first Passover I personally did not mind reading through such a long passage because it's such an intense story. But what we do need to understand is like, okay, what was really going on? What's, what's God doing in this first Passover? Now, the first thing I want us to recognize is that God did not just kill a bunch of the Egyptians because they were in the way of Israel. Okay, so they're his chosen people, they're his favored people. Uh, Israel's in their way. They're just, uh, you know, so let's just, they're collateral damage. Got to break a few eggs to make an omelet, so let's just kill the Egyptians. That is not what's going on here at all. 
Here's the first thing we need to understand that happened at Passover. The first Passover was justice. The first Passover was justice. This final plague, the death of the firstborn of Egypt, was entirely just and deserved. I could show you this uh, from verse 12 uh, of chapter 12, how God talks about this, this Passover, what he's going to do. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So the idea here is God is going to strike this huge, horrific blow on Egypt. He's going to strike down their firstborn. He's going to strike down even the firstborn uh, of their, their animals, their cattle. And he's going to make a mockery of their gods. And all of this, I will execute judgments. God is executing judgments. You think about that idea of judgments. <clears throat> that's, that's making decisions. That's, that's putting in the balance. That's meeting out justice. So what we see happening here in Egypt is not go, God showing uh, you know, cosmic favoritism and getting some people out of the way that, you know, that are just a nuisance to Israel. No, he is pouring out just judgments on the people of Egypt. The Lord God stands as the creator and judge of the universe. And what has he seen when he looks at Egypt? He sees a people who have been afflicting the Israelites for 400 years of their 430 years stay there. We see a people who are killing the male children of the Israelites, right? I mean, I know it was a while back, but chapters 1 and 2, that was a pretty big deal of, of Exodus. That, that first, Pharaoh tries to kill the children through the midwives. When they refuse to do it, he employs all of Egypt to carry out this horrific, evil task to kill the male Israelite children and evidently they were carrying out this, this wicked deed because that's why Moses was put in a basket and placed in the Nile, was to protect his life. Most importantly though, and kind of the source of all these other sins, the people of Egypt, each and every one of them, worshipped false gods they worship things that were not God instead of God. They exchange the glory of their creator God for created things, whether that be possessions or power or self or whatever. They were trusting in and worshiping their own gods rather than God. And for these sins, God sat as judge over Egypt and says, you deserve death. In fact, I would say this plague, the death of the firstborn, is actually still a merciful level of justice being poured out on them. God could kill them all and it would be just. Why? 
because all of them had sinned and all, all of them deserved the wages of sin, which is death. Why do I bother making this point? Well, I, I make it for, for a couple reasons. Number one, <clears throat> we could never say to God, how dare you? How dare you do that to the Egyptians? Strike down their firstborn. Some of us, if we're more animal friendly, say, how dare you kill their cattle? That's not me. I say make hamburgers. Um, this is where a lot of people are. We feel like we can stand in judgment over God and it is laughable. <laughs> Who are we to judge our creator? It is God who stands as judge. It is he who executes judgments. And so we know that if, if this penalty befell them, it was justice because everything that God does is just and right and true. And by the way, what that means is hell will be justice. There will be no one in hell who does not deserve to be there. And we could never say to God, how dare you punish people in eternal hell? It's just. God is a just judge. We better be very careful about standing in judgment over our creator. But the second reason this is important for us is, is okay, this was justice on, on, on Israel, or sorry, on Egypt rather. But we will one day sit before the very same judge, stand before the very same judge, fall before the very same judge. The Bible tells us that we will one day give an account to the God who knows all, sees all, perceives all, hears all. We will give an account for the way that we have lived our lives and God will execute judgment. You say, oh, God wouldn't do that. He struck down the firstborn of the land of Egypt. God will pour out justice. We will stand before this judge and it will be justice delivered. Now, this should leave us with a burning question. This is what I mean. Why You got to understand the Passover. It helps you to understand salvation. Because here's a question. What about Israel? What, what about Israel? Okay, so we know Egypt. Okay, yeah, they deserved it. Does that mean that Israel didn't deserve God's punishment? That they didn't deserve justice poured out on them? Let me ask you, just even from Exodus, and you can even look back in, in Genesis, are, are the Israelites perfect people? Do they always treat one another with perfect kindness? I mean, again, there are examples from Exodus of them treating one another badly, treating Moses badly. Did they always love and trust and worship Yahweh God the way that they should? No, again, we see even in Exodus, their, their lack of faith in God. They deserve punishment, the death of the firstborn, eternal death, just like Egypt. Israel was 100% full of sinners, just like Egypt. And you know what? The clear teaching of Scripture 
is that not just Egypt and Israel, but all people, all we like sheep have gone astray. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. God is a just judge and we all deserve his wrath. So why not Israel? Why did God say, I won't even let a dog growl at them that night? Why? Well, here's the second thing we need to understand about this first Passover. The first Passover was deliverance. The first Passover was deliverance. You say, well, of course it was deliverance. They were slaves in Egypt. And so finally they're, they're out of the, the, the rule of Pharaoh, right? I mean, that's true. I mean, this is very significant for the history of Israel that for 430 years, they were there in Egypt. They couldn't leave for most of that time. And now they have been delivered from the rule of Pharaoh. That's usually what we think about when we think about the deliverance that happened that first Passover. But I want to tell you, there was a second threat to Israel that was even more severe, even more important. And that means the deliverance was even more beautiful. And that is, Israel was delivered from the wrath of God. That, that may be surprising to some of us, but it's true. They were 100% sinners, just like Egypt. They deserved justice poured out on them, just like Egypt and yet they were delivered from God's wrath. But how? How could God be just while also delivering Egypt? The answer is this. I'm going to give it to you in, in a nutshell. God provided a substitute to shed its blood in the place of the Israelites. God provided a substitute to shed its blood in the place of the Israelites. And in that way, justice was served on the Egypt and on Israel. In Egypt, justice was accomplished through the death of the firstborn. And for the people of Israel, justice was accomplished through the death of the sin-bearing substitute. We see this. Uh, in chapter 12, verses 21 to 23 there. Again, just to reiterate it in case we missed it. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clan clans and kill the Passover lamb. I want to mention, by the way, that back in verse 5, God said that this was to be a lamb without blemish, a spotless lamb, a male, one year old. And then it says, verse 22, Moses continues, Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel, that's the top, and the two doorposts, that's the sides, with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to, sh to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. And this is what we need to get. God was not unjust in his treatment 
in, in, in Israel here, or rather in Egypt here, both to the Egyptians and the Israelites, justice was accomplished. You see, in a very real way, the blood of this lamb represented the death of the people inside that home. And that's why it said, don't, don't come out until morning. You, you pass through that doorway, through that threshold of blood, and you stay in there. You close the door and you stay in there. And in a very real way, as the destroyer, it says, passes through, he sees that blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, and he passes over. He sees that justice has been executed for that house. Death did happen. Justice did happen. But for Israel, the Israelites, it was a substitutionary death. It was a substitute bearing the deserved punishment of the people. And in this way, justice was served, but the people were delivered. Now we need to remember a couple particular things about this. Israel didn't trick God. <laughs> they didn't say, oh, by the way, I mean, you think about well, where did that come from? Um, Joseph's brothers, they, they killed an animal and put it on his coat to pretend that Joseph had died. That's not what's happening here. They're not tricking God saying, oh, we're already dead in this house. God knows it's a substitute's blood on that door. He knows it was a substitute's death and God's justice was satisfied. They're not tricking God. And the second thing we need to understand and it's very, very important is this is not a man-made deliverance. This was not Moses' idea. This was no, no Israelites' idea. This was God's idea. This was God's provision. This was God's plan. And this was God's only, only way of escaping the destroyer and the judgment that he would pour out for their sins. God did this salvation. By the way, in chapter 12, uh, verse 11 and 27, this sacrifice is called the Lord's Passover. It's the Lord's Passover. It's not Israel's Passover. It's God's substitute sin bearer that he has put there between them. And so the wrath of God, the justice of God is satisfied in this substitute and the people are delivered not only from the hands of Pharaoh, but from the wrath of God. Infinitely more important. Infinitely more beautiful. <clears throat> and I think we can hardly miss the parallel here. Isaiah understood that there was a, another Passover lamb coming. I, I won't read it all, but in Psalm, or, I mean, Isaiah 53, he talks about the, the lamb, the Messiah that will be led like a sheep to the slaughter. He will bear the sin of many. The iniquities of us will be laid upon this sheep. Isaiah saw it coming. And then John the Baptist saw when he appeared. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We'll talk about it more next week, but on a certain Passover, I don't know the exact date, AD, but you know, 33 AD, whatever. On a Passover, when all these other lambs are supposed to be slain, 
the Lamb of God was slain. The Lord's Passover was slain. The Lord's substitute sin bearer was slain on the cross. And we even see in the book of Revelation, oh, what joy. The people, the chorus, the refrain there is, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He has accomplished this beautiful end times plan. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And here's where we need to understand, friends. Jesus, through the Passover, through his sacrifice, really does deliver us from slavery. You may not know it. If if you're unsaved, you may not know it, but you are a slave to sin and you are a slave to Satan carrying out his will, his desires. You say, no, I'm doing what I want. Exactly. That's what he wants you to do. (laughs) He wants you to follow your flesh. He wants you to hate God. He wants you to work against God. He wants you to feel good doing your religious things, but really loving your sin. If you're not saved, you are a slave to Satan. You are a slave to your sinful flesh. But in Christ, in this Passover lamb, the chains are broken. You are out of his grip. You are no longer under his rule. But as we said, there were two threats against Israel. Not only are you no longer a slave to sin, no longer under the rule of Satan, you're no longer under the wrath of God. Why? Because you have a substitute, their blood covering you by faith. Hebrews eleven twenty eight looks back at Moses and it says, By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith. This was not a mere ritual. This was saying, God, I trust in your substitute. I trust in this sin bearer. I trust in this blood representing me. I trust that this can make us right. And that's what we do with Christ. By faith, we trust in his sacrifice. By faith, we trust that he was our substitute sin bearer. And we trust that by his death, his resurrection, we can be made right with God. Restored in a relationship, not of wrath, but of sonship, of, of being his child. Israel was delivered by the Passover lamb. And we are delivered by the Passover lamb. This is a wondrous truth that we need to understand to truly understand salvation. But there is one final point I want us to see here, and it may be the most important. I don't know, they're all so important. The first Passover was an exchange. The first Passover was not just deliverance from the rule of Pharaoh, it was deliverance to the rule of God. You see how that's different? They they weren't just set free from slavery in Israel to be an an autonomous, self-governed people that can do and live however they'd like. We've been delivered, yay, we're no longer slaves, yay, we averted the wrath of God, yay, now let's do whatever we want. That's not what happened. What happens when they get to Mount Sinai? (laughs) 
There's a covenant. God comes down in fire and smoke and God makes the Sinai covenant with the people and he gives the law of Moses to the people. These are stipulations for how you will now live with me as your God, with me as your ruler. And this is exactly what God said was going to happen. Back in chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, God says this uh, to, to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. So we have that deliverance. But then verse 7, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. It's not just deliverance from Pharaoh. It is now an exchange from being under the rule of Pharaoh to being under the rule of God. It's an exchange from having Pharaoh as their master to now having God as their master. By the way, Pharaoh believed himself to be a God. He demanded worship. Therefore, it is no longer worship of Pharaoh, but it is now worship of God. It was an exchange that took place, not just a loosing, not just a setting free. Now you might ask, well then how is Israel any better off? (laughs) If they've just exchanged masters, if they're still servants of a master, how are they any better off? We gotta be free. We don't do well with freedom, number one. But number two, Here's how their their situation got a whole lot better. It makes a big, big difference what type of master you have. Huge, huge difference. So you think about it, I mean, just in your own life, there is a big difference between having bad parents and good parents. There's a big difference between having a bad boss and a good boss. There's a big difference between having a bad president and a good president. Just ask North Korea. There's a very big difference. One can make your life miserable, but a good master, a good leader, a good Lord can make your life meaningful. See, a bad master just wants to make things good for them. A good master wants to bring you into their good plans. And that's exactly what we see happen even here in chapters 11 and 12. Exodus, uh, I left that out. Exodus 11 uh, here, verses 2 and 3. God says to Moses, speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask, every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Then we see this fulfilled in chapter 12, 35 and 36. And I'll just, you know, summarize. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. This is setting a new pattern, okay? You have Pharaoh who is using them, oppressing them, squeezing every little thing out of them, robbing them. And you have God who right from the beginning starts giving to them. In dibbing out his justice upon Egypt, he gives them the riches of 
Egypt. God's setting a new pattern of that. He, he's going to be a good, a loving, serving even in some ways God, even as we follow under him as our Lord in obedience and service to him. This is the exchange that happened for Israel. And this is the exchange that happened for us, happens for us. By the way, I do think it's important enough. I'm going to go back. I want you, I want you to see it in, in the text. <clears throat> Chapter 12, verse 31. Look at what Pharaoh says. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Pharaoh even got it. <laughs> Pharaoh understood that this was an exchange. Serve the Lord. As you have said, serve the Lord as you've been saying this whole time, Moses. Go and serve him. But again, guys, I want to tell you it is the same thing for us. There is no neutral ground. There is no being delivered from Satan, from sin, from the wrath of God, and then just saying, okay, now I'm in no man's land. I serve no one. That does not exist. We are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, there, there is no in-between kingdom, okay? So you are either in one or the other. You are either serving God or you are still serving sin. But we can be transferred. We can be delivered. And we can have this good master. We can serve. We can enjoy him. Jesus tells us what kind of master he will be in John 10.10. 10. I can't get there. Oh, John 10, 10 and 11. I love this. It just, I think it just fits so well. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's, that's Satan. That's what we saw Pharaoh doing. He's using the Egyptians, or sorry, the, the Israelites. He might say, yeah, but I give you spices and I give you food to eat. No, he's using, he's stealing, he's killing, he's destroying. I, Jesus says, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Because that's what it is under God as master. But then he explains how this deliverance will happen, how this exchange will happen. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the Passover lamb who becomes our Lord. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. But you need to understand, you don't have deliverance. You don't have salvation if you don't also have a Lord. People talk about it like, oh, I got saved at this age and then I made him Lord of my life at this age. No. It's, it's always a package deal because it's an exchange. You are either under God's wrath, in the hands of Satan, following your sinful flesh, or you have been delivered by Christ and he is now your Lord. And so I ask you, have you accepted God's method of deliverance? Because justice is coming. There is a just judge. We will all stand before him. And we will either stand open to his gaze, all our sin, all our sinful thoughts, all our sinful words, all our sinful actions, and we will be condemned for those. Or we will stand covered by the blood of the Lamb. His sin bearing, his righteousness covering us. One of the two will happen. 
But I will tell you now, if you haven't seen an exchange happen in your life from, from one Lord to worshiping God as Lord, that, that deliverance has not yet happened. That deliverance hasn't happened if there hasn't been an exchange. I'm not saying we become perfect, but I'm saying we have an exchange of Lords from loving our sin, pursuing our sin, to loving God and pursuing Him. We need this Passover in our lives. It was the most glorious thing that happened for Israel. And every single time it happens for us, it is the most glorious thing. Let's pray. Father God, would you help us not to forget the pattern of this first Passover, what you were doing there. You were showing us that you are the just judge of the universe, that your judgments are right and true even when they are vicious and harsh, that is exactly what is deserved. But God, we see that you also offer deliverance in the form of a substitute, a substitute sin bearer who really does take that death, who really does take that punishment we deserve, and he covers us with the blood. He covers us with his righteousness. And so, O oh God, knowing these wondrous things have been done for us, let us embrace the exchange that has occurred. Let us embrace that you are now our Lord, our Master, our King. Let us now live for you. Let us walk in obedience to you. And let us make this salvation the one and only way of salvation known to the world so that you may be glorified through us. You're delivered, you're redeemed. Oh God, do this, I pray, for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of others. In Jesus' name.